Good evening, everyone. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva subbing for Justin Walters. It's New York Sports Wrap. 90 minutes of New York sports talk. The phone number to call in if you want to join the fracas, as we say here, is 631-955-5400. That's 631-955-5400. And I'm going to open with something on this show that people need to talk more about. Um, racism in the world. And sports is not any different. And we've had two instances in the last 10 days in which a player's former tweets on social media, which were racist and in some cases homophobic in its entirety of the way they were spoken, okay? And yet we have people, even people in the media, columnists, baseball columnists that have been here for a long time, writing that we should just forget what haters said. We should just, I'm sure we're going to see them about Newcomb. This is the bottom line, Mike. You're not going to imprison these people. But these are people in desperate need of, how should I say it, desperate need of counseling. The scariest racism in the world is closet racism. And I'm going to share a little story with you, Mike, from when I was a kid. And I wrote about it in the book, Press Box Revolution. And I went to a high school, Cardinal Spelman High School in the Bronx, that basically a lot of racial tension was beginning to occur because neighborhoods were changing. And I'm on my way to the bus. I'm a sophomore in high school. And I get blindsided on the bus. And I don't know if I was hit in the face hard enough, but I think I was hitting the bridge of the nose. So blood was everywhere. My white Catholic high school shirt was crimson red by the time I came home. And my parents saw it, and they were obviously shocked. They took me to the hospital. I got it stitched up. And then my father had a talk with me that has resonated with me for the rest of my life. He said, Rich, you have every right to be angry on what happened. But if you submit to racism, if you submit to doing this to some innocent person, just because you were an innocent person that did it to you, that hate will never leave you, that hate will envelop you, and that hate will not make you one of God's disciples, but the opposite direction. He said it to me, and it resonated with me. And there are people in my extended family, and even people close to me as friends, that didn't agree with that. They said, Rich, you got to go, go into that, those projects and get somebody. And I just wasn't going to do it. And I don't think I would have done it, but my father's conversation cemented it, Mike. And that's the kind of thing that makes these things very, how can I put it? It makes these things make me very angry because we have a president in the United States that wouldn't even consider what Hader did or what Newcomb wrote, or wrote, or Hater wrote, racist. And I, and I hear their kids, they were 18, 19 years old. You're accountable for your actions when you're 18 or 19. And the, the responses I got on Twitter tonight, most of them were agreeing with me, but some were like, I'm making too big a deal. No, they're not making a big enough deal about this. Mike, your thoughts? I think there's a couple of ways you look at it. First off, it's real important for fans to separate players from who they are as people. 
if you think you're going to build a 25-man roster with citizens that agree with your political and personal beliefs, mine, you're never going to have a team. And I think we're in a dangerous time because I think younger people want to sanitize and have their athletes or everybody think just like them. Or there's there's uh, zero-sum thinking. It's either A or it's B. And the world doesn't work that way. And I'm not excusing what these guys say, but you and I grew up in different areas than these guys did. These guys grew up in different areas than, than, than we did. Now, with that said, no, you're at 17, 18 years old, you're mature enough to know right and wrong. Um, I also think of myself at 17 or 18 and today at 41 and I think there are belief systems throughout those whatever that was 24 years that have changed and I'm not talking just about race talk about relationships views on athletes views on people um, so people are allowed to evolve and develop um, what concerns me most is the scrubbing through Twitter lines and like what are we trying to do here are we just trying to bring people down yes it's hateful and wrong what they did but what are we just going to do this with every athlete now? And what are the what are the policies now? So people are calling for them to be suspended. I've seen. So what grounds for suspension? The Mets have had rap groups at City Field that spew hateful stuff. Do we suspend the New York Mets organization? You know, like we're going into an area where it's almost like what is considered right, what is considered wrong. Is there got to be a thought police hired by Major League Baseball? Um, you're really starting to get into a real gray area because if you start suspending people for these kind of things, where does it end? Is there views on marriage? Is there views on public bathrooms? Like, this is not why these guys are being... Now, they're, they're employees that, just like you or I, if we said these things, would be fired. So they should know better. But I also wonder, where, are the, where is the thought police going with this? Are we just going to go through everyone's Twitter line for a 10-year period? I mean, athletes are probably going home now and starting to say... Let me scrub through or delete. I mean, you're basically going to force athletes off the platform altogether, which is, is a shame because there's a lot of good that you can get. I think Jerry Blevins is a good example. He does a great job interacting on Twitter. Um, so I'm not excusing it, but I'm trying to figure out where, where are these people going. Other than it's a great story and you could bring down. No one cared about Sean Newcomb a year ago. No one cared about Josh Hader a year. No one cared about Josh Hader in January. Now that he's striking out, what, 16 or 17 per nine innings, people care. So is it because he's having success? And similar to what you talked about, and you and I have talked about off the air from your book, Press Box Revolution, we like to build people up to rip them down. Is that part of it? So you're not saying anything wrong. I'm just looking at it differently. I'm saying to myself, okay, well, where are we going with all this? Like, are we going to set rules of conduct? And where does it end? Because belief systems change by region, by state. By creed, by race, you know, you'd be surprised what people think, and some of them blame, you know, will use their religion as a reason for why they think a certain way. So maybe not those particular comments, but you get where I'm going, kind of with that. I get where you're going, but I also know that. <laughs> how do I say this as gently as I can? I don't think closet racism. <sighs> closet racism is not only in the clubhouses. It's also in the press boxes. Oh, there's no doubt. And there's no doubt. You have people who, you know, listen. And these are the people that are pretending to be progressive, mind you. A lot of people who would be writers, I could guarantee you, I'd love to see their thoughts on certain members of the media and things like that. Or, well, or not members of the media, members of organizations. I mean, we're going to go to break in a sec, but I'm going to give you, because we're going to get to Howie Carp in a sec. 
Willie Randolph was the manager of the Mets, and I heard columnists, veteran columnists in this town, use the N-word to describe him. Okay? That's disgraceful. You can agree with him. You can disagree with him. And once you got to know Willie, even when he was manager of the Mets, I never had a problem with him. And I was told in an elevator one time, Rich, you always support those people. This is a veteran columnist that has since left us, okay? And he basically said to me in an elevator, I'll never forget, we were in the Diamond Club elevator back in Shea Stadium. And he said, you always support those people. I said, what people are you referring to? He said, you know, those inner city people, okay? I can be honest with you. I never again had a conversation with him again. Um, and I think that when I think about not only what Jackie Robinson had to go through, but later Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente, all the non-white players had to live around these what some of them would call Lily White columnists. And they had to hear from them behind their backs how they would talk about them. Dal Strober and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. Dave Winfield and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. How when he went for the batting title, not one writer in this town was even extolling his virtues and praying that Don Manley would get it. Manley deserves all the accolades he got for that season. But I think we're so past that now with the way baseball is. Everybody looks at people, they're more biased about numbers now than yes. they are about. See, now it's not about closet racism, about race, it's about your numbers. Like Jack Morris, people don't like because he's a league average pitcher. So it's amazing where we, and I'm not trying to, to belittle uh, something serious. Believe me, what I'm trying to do is give context because. You know, sometimes I feel like everybody's waiting to get offended or find something or bring somebody down. And, um, you know, even with some of the stuff about protesting the Mets, I'm like, guys, do you guys have any fun in your life? <laughs> like, do you have any fun? Like, it's just amazing to me how joyless certain individuals can be. And, and maybe the news media cycle has a lot to do with it. There's so much negativity out there. We know that. But the positive things that go on out there never get reported in sports and politics and life. And you get to a point where, you know, not everything is joyless. Not everything is gloom and doom. The world isn't ending tomorrow, you know. And Very true. So. We're going to go a short break. And when we come back, Howie Carpenter will join us. We're going to talk baseball with him and a little with about the great Bill Shannon. So stay tuned for that. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signal to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. The Herman Singh Community Radio Show is now on 540 AM WLIE every Saturday morning at 9. With over two decades of service to the community, the Herman Singh Radio Show is now live on the air every Saturday morning at 9. If you would like to get in touch with the Herman Singh Community Radio Show to include your community announcement or request, call 718-805-4900. That's 718-805-4900. Brought to you by Tropical Funding. For all your mortgage needs, 718-805-4900.
Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Coutinho along with Mike Silva, 842 the time. The phone number to call if you want to talk sports, 631-955-5400, 631-955-5400. And joining us is our baseball aficionado, Howie Carpin. Howie, how are you tonight? Good. How are you guys doing? Good to be with you. Good, good for you to be on the show as well. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about Bill Shannon with you, but first I have a couple of quick baseball hits, and then we'll get to talking about Bill. Um, on the Yankee side of things, as we approach the trading deadline, do you think that there's anything else that they would consider? And does the Aaron Judge injury have any impact on what they might bring in? Uh, a little bit for the latter. The first question is, I think, yeah, they're still looking. I think they're looking for a backup catcher. I don't think they're looking for an outfielder, but if somebody came along, they may bite. But I think catching is what they're looking for. Uh, they it, Interesting that during this Royal Series, they played Neil Walker every game. So, to, to, you know, to play him in a whole doubleheader yesterday and you don't play some of your young guys, that smells like they may be offering Walker around for something. Uh, it gets us the suspicion, no confirmation. Uh, the judge injury is, is not going to be three weeks, I'll tell you that. It's going to be about six. But again, if they if an outfielder comes along and they feel they can, you know, make a deal, they won't hesitate. A couple of days left. It's going to be interesting as it gets down to the wire. I'm wondering, would Jose Batista be of interest to them? It's possible. I think they'd be more interested in Mesoraco. You know, you could package Mesoraco and Batista. And I agree. And Howie, I agree with you. I think people thinking this is oh, thank God, it's a it's a chip. Uh, Kevin Plawicki had similar something similar. He was out yep. what two months. I, and then there's the wrist, and then the wrist is 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 the basis of power. This could be a rest of the season problem for the Yankees, and I don't think they the fans realize, and the Yankees do, I'm sure, how how serious this is. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure they do, but they've kept, you know they haven't really said it, made it clear that that's their position. You're right, Mike. I mean, this is a I see this at least six weeks, and who knows? Could kill his whole season. And as far as the Mets are concerned. Everything I'm hearing, I'm sure you and I are hearing the same things, Howie, is that they're talking about Zach Wheeler, but the return for Zach is not what the Mets want. They're trying to get something based on the small sample of this season. But other teams are looking at the whole report card, which I don't blame them. I'd be looking at the whole report card, too. So I'm getting the sense that these four starting pitchers are staying right here in Queens. And what are you hearing about it? Oh, I agree. I don't think they're going to trade any of them at this deadline, nor do they need to. I mean, in the offseason, there's always going to be value for starting pitching. You know, somebody's going to need starting pitching. So they may, you know, they may have some chips, to, obviously some nice chips to go into the offseason with. Now, the thing is, you know, with their three-headed GM, so to speak, do you trust the organization that they're doing their due diligence and doing their homework of these other teams' organizations? Because, you know, they basically, and I put this in parentheses, they're going to have to raid another team, and they and if they do give up one of these starters, it's got to have to click. It's got to be someone who's highly rated. Look, if they they go out and get a prospect that's highly touted, 
supposed to be a you know a almost can't miss and he blows up in their face. That's the way it goes. But at least if they do their homework and due diligence, maybe they can score on some of these deals and, and get back to being a, a competitive team again. Howie, what amazes me about fans and I, and sometimes even the media is that they're really not appreciating what you have here with these four stars. Now, I know they've had a bad season. I know that the offense is historically bad. Maybe that's strong, but it's bad. But to have these four starters and have a team like the San Diego Padres – basically try to go to everybody because they have this quote-unquote loaded farm system and grab what the Mets have and fans saying, well, the Mets should be in on that. The Mets should be dealing to the Padres. So what you're saying is you want to flip with the Padres who are actually four games worse than you so that in a year from now you're doing the same thing that they're doing now. It's amazing. It's the, I don't think they really understand what they have in front of them and how there's no guarantee that the guy on the MLB pipeline list will ever be J- Jacob deGrom, will ever be Syndergaard, will ever be Mats, will ever be Wheeler. I don't think they understand that. No, that's very true. But, you know, you'd feel better at hanging on to these guys if the organization would spend to fill those other needs. The problem is with this organization is when they go out and spend, they go for bargain basement, you know, deals. that They go for middle-of-the-road relievers, middle-of-the-road players. They don't go for the big fish. If they went for the big fish with this pitching staff and then they stayed healthy, they could take a big jump back into contention next year. But you don't expect them to really dip into the free agent market so heavily. So it almost comes down to where they're going to have to trade one of these guys to get something back to help their team in the field or else they'll just keep spinning their wheels as they had the last year and a half. That's a good point, Howie. Howie, I wanted to talk to you about Bill Shannon because he's been – and, and first, I want to do some of the young listeners out there. Howie, describe, give me a little brief bio of Bill Shannon and, and, and everything he accomplished in his career and why he's so special to guys like you and me. Well, he's so special because he transcends generations. He, could, he had a, a gift for relating to young people and, of course, his own generation. You know, he was a, a public relations director for Madison Square Garden, he is, he is a staple of the New York sports scene in, in more ways than just baseball. But his baseball knowledge and his, you know, his whole impact on the, the coverage of the game in New York was so huge. He influenced so many people and touched so many lives during his time. And, you know, you, you and I know he was considered the best official scorer in the country, but it went far beyond official scoring. It went, you know, history. He was he was an historian. Uh, you know, he was very intelligent. He got along with everybody. He was a big man, and he, he didn't really have a temper. You wouldn't want to mess with him because he was huge. But you know, he was just a great guy, and he was my mentor. He got me started. I don't I don't become an official scorer without his support. Very very true. And and the other thing is, in the old days at Shea Stadium, and this is even after they closed the bar and didn't have alcoholic beverages there for the post game I can remember so many days sitting there for hours I remember spending two hours with him he's telling me the whole thing you know with Seaver and M. Donald Grant and the trade in 77 and the fact that Bill Madden and Dick Young and he actually said to me one time Rich I think you would have given Dick Young a real good debate on Tom Seaver so I take that as a as a as a nice poke on the back from from Bill but just the conversations I had I consider myself a baseball historian and loving it, but I love it even more because of those conversations, Howie. Yeah, I mean, he was such a joy to be around, and, you know, you kind of leaned on him for a while, at least in my first few years, 
I didn't try to lean on him too much. I mean, I tried to be my own person. But he was always there for to support. And, you know, when there were a couple of incidents, he was there. And, you know, he, he was basically running the show as, as, a, as a scorer. Phyllis Marriage was the boss. She was the VP of uh, public relations for MLB for a long time. She's the one to do the hiring. But Bill would be like her right-hand man, so to speak, because he handled the scheduling and, you know, all kinds of stuff that he took care of. And, you know, I just wonder what he would, what he would be like today with this appeal process that they have now for the scoring decisions. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, how we think about it, I, I'm sure scoring, just like everything else in this wacky world of sports, has evolved. A buddy of mine does some of it at AAA down in uh, North Carolina, and he calls me up once in a while. He says, you don't believe what they fight me over to kind of <laughs> organizations getting mad at him because he's a stickler. If it's an error, it's an error. If it's hit, it's an hit. They want him to give hits because they want the, the prospects' uh, numbers to be uh, puffed up, and he's like, you know what? Scouts aren't stupid. If you're hitting 298 and you're a player, the 301 is not going to make a difference. So it is amazing. It sounds like things have changed quite a bit in, in the evolution of scorekeeping. Oh yeah, because obviously you know you got you have all this TV coverage. You see everything nowadays, and I give your friend some credit. At least he sticks to his you know, convictions, and that's what you got to do in this job. The organization nowadays, doesn't like it, that's for sure. But they, what can you do? <laughs> But now, you, now you, even on MLB Network now, they have a thing where they go over scoring calls with Brian Kenny and a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, there's a couple of cheap shots in there, but that's another a different story. But, every, you know, with fantasy now, too, everything's focused on, on scoring decisions because fantasy's a big part of it. And obviously you affect a lot of these fantasy teams with your decisions. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the scrutiny has intensified almost ten times in the last 20 years. No question. One final one for you, Howie. The Washington Nationals, an interesting – I'm going to be down in D.C. for these two games next week, um, at the trading deadline right in the middle of them. But as bad a season as the Mets have had, and they've had a horrific season, are the Nationals in, in some ways in more trouble than the Mets long term because of what they could lose? And because of that, do they even think about being sellers at the deadline? Well, it's funny, you know, if you watch the stock market, the, the Nationals going into today were almost like the Facebook stock from the other day that plummeted, you know, <laughs> to record levels. They were, they were buyers going into today's game, and I think they're sellers coming out of it because they split with the Marlins. They're still, you know, creeping at 500 or, or game over, game under every other day. I think they're coming to, to, to grips with they may have to sell here. And uh, yeah, they could be in more trouble. They could be in a worse situation than the Mets because they're at a crossroads in, in their organizational development. You know, where are they going to go from here? This team, in all likelihood, unless they make this miraculous run in the second half, will, will not make the playoffs when they were being picked by some to win the World Series. So they're at a crossroads, even more so than the Mets. And uh, as far as the future of the division, it's going to be interesting what steps they take from here on in. Howie, as always, a pleasure. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you down the road after the trading deadline to see uh, if we're going to look at what teams did well and maybe what teams did not so well. We'll talk to you real soon, my friend. Thanks, guys. Always, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Howie Carpin, our baseball aficionado. And, you know, one of the interesting things, too, uh, I know Brock just got traded tonight to the Braves from the Orioles, that's going to And he's help. not having a great year. No, but sometimes a fresh start with a guy with Absolutely. good stuff could help him. And I actually have said this 
time and time again. The Braves and Phillies are there now. We'll talk about this after the break. The Braves and Phillies are at the top now, and I think they should be given credit for the season they've had. But long term, as a Met fan, I'm worried far more about the Marlins than the Phillies or the Braves because I do think Jeter's doing this the right way, and I think he's going to choose the right guys to build around, and he's a smart guy. And I think the Marlins are going to be much tougher for the Mets to handle down the road than the Phillies or the Braves will be down the road because their farm system is still pretty good. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about Major League Baseball, the Yankees' trek, the Luis Severino question marks, and more to come right after this. Hi, I'm Pastor Bill Shishko, inviting you to tune in to a visit to the Pastor's Study every Saturday from 12 noon to 1 p.m. here on WLIE Radio. We bring biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you, and we invite you to visit the Pastor's Study by calling in with your questions. Our time will be lively, useful, sometimes controversial, but never dull. Join us this Saturday at 12 noon for a visit to the Pastor's Study because everyone needs a pastor. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man! No, 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 sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within... Um. C, look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Ta-da! to... Ta-da! Twinsies! <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Reformed Witness Hour is one of the oldest Christian radio broadcasts still on the air and spreading the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ by His sovereign grace. Tune in to 5.40 a.m. every Sunday morning at 8 to the Reformed Witness Hour, faithfully proclaiming God's Word for over 70 years. WLIE540AM.com every day and find out what's happening in your community from one of the largest and most diverse radio stations in the tri-state area. Stay connected at WLIE540AM.com. Program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AM Radio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. 
cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and AJ Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 540 AM from 7 to 8.30 Sunday nights. Visit their website, www.sportstalknylive.com for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York, Sunday nights from 7 to 8.30 on WLIE 540 AM. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. Dazzling music and dance performances, leadership training, lots of exciting activities, and friendships that last a lifetime. Get it all in one place at the 2018 IYF World Camp, August 19th to the 23rd, LIU Post Tillis Center. Explore more of your mind and heart and end the summer right. IYF World Camp, August 19th to the 23rd. Register today at IYFUSA.org. That's IYFUSA.org. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino, look, Mike Sova. Great conversation we just had with Howie Carpin. Um, one of the things I want to, before we get back to baseball, Mike, I wanted to talk about the news about the Daily News this week. And, you know, it's never good in our industry when people lose jobs. And it's funny, I got a lot of direct tweets from people this week saying, my God, Rich, you had this all in your book. And as, you know, when you look at the, Newspaper industry and the biggest, it's not the writers or columnists' fault. They're doing their jobs. They're out there writing. Whether I agree with them or disagree with them, there's no, there's no uh, debate on how hard they work. Okay. But it's never the, it's never the people that, like at that level of a company that are at fault. It's the management, the senior management. And I went into a meeting with the Daily News sales. Head. We're talking mid to late 90s when the internet was starting to bubble up a little bit and fester, okay? And I had proposals for him on what to do. And I said, in the Daily News, you go out there on a website, you got to charge. Oh, no, no, no. He said, people will have to have it for free. Well, the problem with that is once you have it for free, you can't then charge people. And then he said, look, I know you've done some ad sales, and at that point I had done ad sales at um, Bloomberg and IFC and AMC. And um, he said, I know you know, think you know a lot about ad sales, but the new newspaper business ad sales is different. I says, yeah, I'll tell you how it's different. The only thing you have right now are used car dealerships and 900 lines in your newspaper. 
And that is not going to be long-term, and it's certainly not going to be long-term on the Internet. I said, on the Internet, you want to track film companies. They could put trailers on there. Toyota Scion was big even at that point in kind of getting stuff on the Internet. And you want to promote the people that you have at your station, what pages of their own. And he kind of threw me out of his office and made sure security saw me into the elevator. And I left saying... I'll never forget it because I went downstairs in the in the street right outside where the Daily News offices were, Mike, and I said, the industry's dead. It may take some time, but the industry's dead. And as I said in my book, we're going to see things like this for six months. The New York Post is right now at the top of the world, but only because their owner doesn't mind losing money. When, when that owner decides he doesn't want to lose any money anymore, then the Joe Shermans of the world and all those people, they'll be out of work too. So I... My advice to them is develop your own brand, develop your own subscription, make sure you charge for it when you go out there with podcasts. Don't send podcasts out into the heavens for free. And the other thing is understand that the thing that kind of got me through my career, Mike, and you know it because we're good friends, ad sales always provided the closing of the gap. And if you're a writer or a reporter today or an on-air guy, learn something. I'm not saying it has to be ad sales. It could be accounting. It could be marketing. It could be, you know, designing websites. It could be anything. Do something to get yourself a second backup because you need it in this industry more than any other. No doubt. Uh, Listen. What what drove me nuts about the debate on the Daily News, and, and I reached out, I personally reached out to Frank Isola, who I've had differences with, said, hey, I feel sorry for, you know, you losing your job. And Frank's going to be all right. I mean, he's got ESPN, mm-hmm. NBA radio, and he even talked about it on, on air with Brian Scalabrini, where this could be an opportunity for him to maybe get more into radio. Uh, and writing in the beat, now he wasn't a beat writer, he was a columnist, but that whole beat job, that's a grind. I mean, you're traveling like the players without the money of the players, and that's not conducive to a family, to a marriage, to dating, to... Healthy eating, healthy life. I mean, so, you know, when you and I, uh, you know, well, you you travel, but when I turn the TV off or I watch the post game and I get my notes and I turn it off and I flick on and I'm in the living room with my wife, that's not the person who's there, you know, and that's right. and that's really tough. What I guess bothered me a little bit is the outcry. And there was members of the media and the fans, well, some, the government needs to do something about this. Well, what do you want the government to do? You want them to bridge the gap? Are you going to use your tax dollars to fund the Daily News? Are you going to use your tax dollars to fund the New York Post? Are you going to use your tax dollars to have what they call a a fair media or a balanced media or an objective media? It's a business. And, yes, unfortunately, that business now is getting pinched because I don't see kids going into college. And if I'm their parent, I turn to them and say, you know what? I'm going to spend 30, 40, 50 grand a year, son or daughter, so you could go become a writer. Because guess what? You're not going to make any money. Now, if I want to do that because I'm good and it's a passion and I want to uh, supplement that with what you said, sales uh, uh, skills or jobs like that, then fine. But to do it full time, unless you're the 1% and you're willing to starve and your parents are willing to or your family members are willing to supplement you for many, many years, it's insane. It's insane. I see some of these kids trying to, quote-unquote, make it, 
in an industry where there's no performance appraisal, there's no talent evaluation, there's no career path. Like if I sat down with anybody at Intercom, which is CBS and a guy like Mark Chernoff, tell me what your career path is for your incoming talent. What would they tell me? They would, t- they would tell you that it, it's a constant revolving door. But what does that mean? Like, there's no, there's no farm system in, in no. media. And now maybe this, what we're doing, maybe this is the farm system, but they don't take that seriously. Or they look at that as a nuisance towards them or, or what have you. Um, there is so much talent out there. More talent now exposed than ever before. The fact that these places can't pluck it. That's on. That's where the management part failed. Now, if you have a unit of business that's failing, that's not making money, then Rich, I've been laid off twice. Yep. You know, I'm sure you've been laid off. Mm-hmm. It happens, it and happens. you get up. It's it stinks, um, but you move on. And every time it's happened to me, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's I, been truthfully it's been the best thing because it's given me an opportunity to now force myself into reinventing myself, like the old Tom Glavin, reinventing yourself, and that's what these guys have to do, and that might mean maybe getting into media, audio, whatever. I don't know what they're into or they're good at, um, but they certainly need to look at that. Well, you know, and I believe in a lot of career development and looking at your career and seeing where it is, and I think I'm a good reporter, but i got to be honest with you, I think I'm 10 times better in ad sales. And the realization of that, has to come forward to you and hit you in the face a little bit. And one of the things that I've always I've evolved to, and I didn't I didn't have that ad sales acumen coming out of Fordham University. I was a communications and political science major. I was thinking you had to develop school. it. You had to develop it, and you had to uh, figure out a way. You know, a lot of times you get out of college, you have some really uh, interesting skills, but you don't really learn until you get into the workforce. I really believe that. And that's what makes me laugh when people get into the workforce and think they know something you know nothing. Believe me, I've had many fastballs proverbially thrown under my chin in the workforce. And every time that's happened, I've been better for that. And the problem with a lot of these writers is they've never worked in an office. They've no. never been in an office. They've never run businesses. And I not only have been in offices, but I've run newsrooms. So I know on the other side of the situation what it's like and the other thing is and this is a millennial thing i think sometimes kids come out of school saying well i paid my dues i went to college for four years no, where's my dues. where's my six-figure job well it doesn't work that way you still have to kind of pay your dues and part of what the newspaper business went down the toilet is because it's a combination of things it's senior management not knowing and it's the unions that the newspaper business had, not realizing that the way they were negotiating in the late 80s, early 90s was not conducive to what the future was going to be, and it created the ability for these papers to become de-unionized. And once that occurred, there was never any way that they would have any solidarity or, or correctness. Now, look, there are people I know in the industry now that have benefited a lot from crossing the picket line, the newspaper picket line. I'm not going to mention names. We all know who they are. Okay? My point is that my dad was a, a member of UAW. I would have never been able to go back into my house if I ever did that. And the point I'm trying to say is everyone's looking for shortcuts. The shortcut was cross the picket line. But I wasn't looking for shortcuts. I was looking for long-term growth. But in order to do that, it's like a portfolio. You have to be a little diverse. and You I- have to be your own company, and that's a stressful thing. And I think that's the part 
that a lot of kids, if they're listening, they don't want to be in this. See, for me, Rich, this is cherry on top. My, my mortgage doesn't get paid by anything I do in media. If it was, I'd be living in a box <laughs> outside this station. Um, what they need to realize is you're your own ink. You're your own ink. And that is, ask anyone. Read, Mark Cuban came out with a book about being a business entrepreneur. You, whether you like Mark Cuban, hate him, whatever, interesting book. Here's a guy that was really had to make the tough decision. Do I eat? Do I pay my electrical bill? Or do I continue to plug away with my business? And, and to a certain degree, well, that's what this media has become. You are going to have to be your own ink. You're going to have to get your own uh, revenue stream. Now, I know there's a bunch of ways for people to maybe start paying and funding, but an industry that started on free, it's very hard to go for free, like you said. So you almost have to say, what can I give for free to hook people in to get them to pay? And that's the part right now that I, I don't even know I, I have the answer because my podcast is free, and I'm glad to do it, but I'm also not relying on that podcast to pay any bills. But have I thought about revenue stream activities that I could do to connect to that podcast? You bet. Have I have I acted on them? Not yet, because I'm I'm waiting to see where certain things go. So. And I think too, when you know, and I'm around in the press boxes a lot, almost every night with the Mets, and and one of the things I see is that they go on Twitter a lot, and they have this "woe is me" theme to their tweets. And that's not going to help you sell any subscriber or their, or their, services. Or their, or their internal squabbles, they're trying to do, like, you know, you know, you had to be there type of comments, like press yeah. box humor. Like, to me, that's a waste of time. I know, listen, being on the road, it goes back to what I said, being living at a hotel, not, you know, seeing your family, not having a girlfriend, not having a social life. I get it. I totally get it. But, you know, everything you do. When you walk into the, if you really want to win and be successful, when you walk into your office, whether at nine, nine thirty, ten, if you're in the city and you leave five, six, seven, eight o'clock, I don't know what your job is. All I know for me, it's go time, and you have to approach that with a focus and a passion, and a and a relentless pursuit to get whatever that task is done to the highest degree with whatever the resources you have in front of you. Which means sometimes you have to be nimble. Which means sometimes. It's not necessarily going to be perfect, but it's the best you can do under the circumstances. And clowning around is not going to be part of that. Things you could learn from guys like Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, the great coaches, the kind of principles that they instill into their teams, the same things you have to bring to these, this industry and what your job and what you're doing. And if you don't, then get out and do something else. It's very, very true. And I think the other thing, and we'll get to Severino and the Yankees in a second, the other thing, Mike, is this notion that Everyone should have equal access to every player in a clubhouse. Not true. When I started this business, you develop your own relationships with players. And the 86 Mets, like I had a better relationship with Daryl than I did with right. Keith Hernandez. I had a better relationship with Ray Knight than I did with Roger McDowell. You know, it, it's Look, I had different. access to a player on the team in 2011, 2012, 2013. I knew a lot what went on in that clubhouse. I broke a couple of stories. Those who've been following me since then probably could figure out who it was. Um, I knew it drove some beat writers nuts. I broke a story over Adam Rubin because of it. But you know what? I was given information by that person and that person's agent. They asked me not to run with something. Anytime they gave me something, I, I earned their trust. A lot of the information I was gathering was more on background from my knowledge so I could understand the game better and provide better Mets commentary, baseball commentary. So it came good my way. A lot of people who are angling for that, and, and I think Peter Vesey talked about this in his um, 
he's actually doing a paid service at Patreon with how Rojanowski, you know, made a lot of money and he's making a lot of money, but a lot of his access is agenda driven by agents. Right. You know, and that's not how it used to be. As you know, in the old days of newspaper columnists, the things that got out there were things that nobody wanted to get out there, right? The sources. Howie Rose mentioned recently on a broadcast that Steve Garland, the old trainer of the Mets, was a great source for him. Think about yeah. that. Steve Garland. And about all the things he got. Because that's a guy sitting right there. Sees yeah. all the nonsense going on. You would never think that, right? And it's true. And, and I think that there's less reporting going on and there's more quote-taking going on. Yeah. El Goffabit, you don't have the quote. I know that that's what the editors want. But you know what? All due respect, I was driving home on the LAE the other night, Rich, and I heard you ask a question, and I could have recorded that quote at exit 52 of the LAE, put it on my phone, and had the same quote. Like, I don't have to sit in the press box and do that. Now, yes, the pre and the post game, the clubhouse access, the, um, you know, talking to people, that's important. But if you're going to cut all these great veteran sports writers off, and I don't get to talk to a Rich Catino or a Kevin Kernan or a Mike Vaccaro uh, or get a chance to go into the clubhouse and, and make some relationships with whether it be people in the organization, what have you, then what am I doing at the ballpark other than getting a free ticket? And truthfully, the press box view is not that great. You know, it's not that great. No matter what stadium you're in, you'd rather be in the the stands at that point. It's true, and I think that a lot of times, too, that I'll give you a funny story, and I know we want to get to talking about the Yankees and Severino, but um, I guess it was like mid-May this year, Jose Reyes and I are talking, and we're not talking about baseball. I was actually, at the time I was dating an Hispanic woman, and I wanted to get a good Dominican restaurant to go to, and I knew he knew all of them. So he goes, ah, let me let me run in my locker and, and I got a little book that that I have here. It was like a Zag. It's a book to Dominican restaurants. By the so, way, La Fonda Grill, which is right up the road here in Haw- Hawkins Avenue, is excellent food. <laughs> I have to tell you, Rich, okay. I'll give them a free plug. It's excellent food, La Fonda Grill. Free plug. We got to talk about an ad sales deal. We're gonna give them a free plug like that. Go ahead. But so I walked out into the corridor. The entire beat reporters followed us, followed me. Because they want to see what you're saying. I turn around and I said, we're talking about restaurants. I said, come on, look at me. That's believable, isn't it? We were talking <laughs> about restaurants. But my point is that nobody – we're standing around in the locker room and Jay Horowitz will come to us and say, oh, who else are you guys looking for? And everyone doesn't know. And they're there just for CYA. Right. That's all the reason they're there. And, and the players don't like, like that. that. The no. players are st- the, that, that lingering, and, and even Adam Rubin was talking about this, and this has been public before. At one point, I think the Mets had an issue with the players. Like, and, and I know the guy I knew said, there's too many people in the locker room. Like, I can't get stuff done. I can't feel – that's their home. That's not right. public domain. That's not like the Ro- Jackie Robinson Rotunda. That's their home. Think about people hanging out in your living room while you're trying to get ready. Like, at some point, hey, guys, like, beat it, you know? I know. <laughs> beat it. Um, let's talk about the Yankees a little bit and the problems Luis Severino has had in the last four starts. And um, one of the things is I wa- I I watched the game on TV yesterday. I wanted to make sure to kind of record it, and I went back and looked at a lot of Severino's pitches. And I'm not a pitching coach, and I'm not a doctor, but to me, he's short arming the ball, and there's got to be a reason for that. Either he's not executing his delivery correctly. 
or maybe there's something else wrong. I know the Yankees, you know, will never get criticized. You know, Aaron Judge gets hit with a pitch, and they let him stay in the game. If that was the Mets, it would be a front-page story. The whole, the whole Aaron, the two things that have happened to the Yankees this week, Aaron Judge getting hit, um, that would have been a big deal if you were uh, if you were a Met. And the fact that the Yankees are getting all this international money, didn't the Mets do that a week ago? Like, but, but it was a bad trade <laughs> for the Mets. It was a bad trade, I, you I know. Mean, I, I, have, I have a thing. If the Mets call tomorrow a press conference saying their doctors had actually found the cure for cancer, the beat reporters in this town would say, that's nice, what took them so long? And, right. But if the Yankees did it, they'd have a parade up Canyons of Heroes. Right. And, and my point is that not every reporter falls into this category, but at some point, Aaron Judge is your best player. He's hit in the hand. You're playing the Kansas City Royals in July. Get him out of the game and get him checked and, out. And Don't the, have him have another at-bat. And the, and, the, and the reaction by the fans against this kid throwing. Ugh. And to say, well, look at Mets fans, Chase Utley. Look, first of all, to threaten anyone death on Twitter is just stupid. It's just dumb. Like, get a grip. First of all, none of you would survive six seconds in jail, all right? So let's get real, <laughs> all right? Um... But in all seriousness, he didn't mean to hit him. It's agitating, yeah. You know, David Cohn got hit by Atlee Hammaker back in 1987, broke his pinky, was out three months. Probably cost the Mets a division, if you think about it. Um, you know, he didn't mean it. And to go after him. Now, Utley intended to hurt uh, in some ways, so the vitriol against him was a little bit more justified. But even so, to go after them, to say, I'm going to, you know, booing and hating people, that's fine, fun Hate, like I say, baseball hate, but come on, like it was just ridiculous. These are the same fans who said Roger Clemens wasn't throwing a right. Oh, that that that's true. <laughs> like that's I didn't even think of that, but that's a whole separate point. And, and when he threw the bat, it was just you right. Know, well, why did he do it? Yeah, that's what I want to know, Joe. Why did he do it? Right. Okay, so you know that's you know, but getting back to Severino, I think he's going to pitch against the Red Sox this four game series, and and the the Red Sox are in a good position. They're five and a half ahead of the Yankees, which means. In these head-to-head encounters, a four-game split for the Red Sox is fine because it, it, it takes an opportunity for the Yankees to catch him, and it takes four days off the calendar. So, I mean, I mean if the Red Sox play 500 ball, they're going to win north of 100 games. It's going to be very difficult to catch them at and this point. It's, as right now, the Yankees are about the same distance from the A's as they are from the Red Sox. When you look at it, they're about six and a half behind the A's right now. They're five and a half behind the Red Sox. Now, the, the Mariners are in between there. But my point is that the Yankees are likely going to have to play this wild card game, whether it's here, whether it's in Seattle, whether it's in Oakland. Um, It'll probably be at Yankee Stadium. I don't think the Yankees will. Luis Severino got bailed out last year by D.D. Gregorius in the bullpen. But he was brutal in that wild card game. If he somehow spits the bit again... All these bouquets that Severino had are going to change. Now, my point is, if Aaron Boone is there, and the weekend before the Yankees play the Red Sox, the division could be done by then. So that might not be as big a series as we think it would be. But in any event, you know Masahiro Tanaka is not as good a talented pitcher as Severino. But from a playoff standpoint, he's proven that he can pitch in the big game. Would you ever, if you were Aaron Boone, take the chance of pitching Tanaka in that wild card game and then saving Severino to open the next round, provided you win. I wouldn't put it 
look, Tanaka's the kind of guy, just like Severino, where he can be really bad. Like, when he's off, he's off. But he stepped up in the postseason and pitched well. Last year, against Cleveland, he had seven shutout innings. He had a 1.38 ERA against Houston in um, the league championship series. Uh, he was a guy that was highly touted coming out of Japan. Not a crazy thought to put the more experience. Listen, this could be a debate even if Severino's pitching well. I mean, yes, last year doesn't matter. The kid came in, had an awful first inning, Girardi yanked him, and the Yankees' bullpen is deep enough where they could go 2-3 with a bunch of relievers. Now, you don't want to do that and, and burn him out, and I think part of what happened last year was those relievers were used so much, the bullpenning got to them. And, um, and, and eventually that'll if – if the Yankees get six good innings out of their starters – that bullpen is really dominant. That's tough to beat them at that point. You're really you're playing the Yankees innings one through five, and if you win innings one through five and play ahead, you're in good shape. You play behind, you're gonna have some problems. You're gonna have a lot of problems actually. Well, but you know we thought that going into the postseason last year, and I would say the Yankee bullpen was good last year. They weren't great. They blew game two. Well, now you have Britain. You have Britain. You have Robertson. Baton says, who was not good last year, seems to have come back. Do you trust him in a big spot? Who the heck knows? Chapman is Chapman. But relievers, as you know, Rich, anything could happen. Like they could all of a sudden, Chapman blew, ran out of gas in Chicago because of overuse. You don't know. I mean, and, and personally, and the Mets tried to win a championship in 2006 basically using a bullpen. And bullpen wore out, and that's the thing. So, well, to the me, bullpen got hurt. Duana the bullpen Sanders. got hurt, but there was also the point where you go to so many times throughout the year. At some point, these guys are on gas. Their stuff is not as sharp, and what have you. The thing is, if they can get like Jay Happ, what he provides them is something that I don't know if Sonny Gray can. Is six really solid innings. That's all they need, and they look at that in the postseason. I think Tanaka can give them six really solid innings. I'm pretty sure Severino can. Give them six really solid innings. But when you're facing Chris Sale, that guy's not just going to give you six solid innings. He's going to shut you down. Right. Um, Verlander, same Verlander, thing. Verlander, same thing. And they go a little bit deeper. Maybe even Jericho. You know, maybe yeah. Jericho, maybe Charlie Morton. You know, I don't know how they're going to go with their rotation and what have you. So, you know, they have, right now, if you had to rank the playoff teams, the Yankees are at best, the third best team in the American League. Uh, and I don't think Oakland and Seattle are pushovers. I think the Yankees would beat them because they have the home field advantage in a wild card game. But I don't think they would be pushovers. I never thought Minnesota was a good playoff team. And for a long time, the Yankees in the first round, and it usually has been the Twins, haven't really played a great opponent. When the, they have, in, they've lost. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I mean, Anaheim had, had it going on. Detroit. Detroit surprised them. I mean, those are Yankee teams that did not have good pitching and really didn't have great middle relief. They had okay middle relief. They had basically a bats, and they had a great, great closer. And you, they would hope that their bats would score enough where the warts between innings one through seven with the pitching wouldn't be uncovered, and then Mariano would pitch two innings, and that would be it. And Mariano would pitch every night two innings because they built him up. That was his thing. He would pitch one inning most of the season, and then October it would be you know, six-out saves and what have you. Well, and the other thing about it that's kind of interesting is um, in both Seattle and Oakland, they both have bullpens that could – be right there with the Yankees. So yep. the question is, will their starter be able to give them five or six innings? I think Paxson's got a better shot of healthy to do it as a Mariner. Um, but 
the combination of Familia and Trinan to end the game, I'd put that right now, right, yeah. right up with what the Yankees two to finish their game. And you don't know how these Yankees offensive players are going to be in the postseason. Like, all right, Judge, let's assume he comes back and there's no side effects. I mean, I, I really don't think people understand. This guy is probably going to have minimal time the rest of the regular season. Um, and a wrist injury uh, doesn't mean you come back and you're 100% even though you're pain-free. He's going to have to really, you know, ramp it up again. So he might have some, and he wasn't great in the postseason last year anyway. I think he's a guy you could be pitched to. I think Aaron Judge is a guy you could pitch to against really good pitching. I think they could get him out. Uh, same thing with Stanton. Uh, you're relying on guys like Gleyber Torres, Miguel Hando, our young players. Um, Greg Bird. Greg Bird, a streaky player that could be really good or really bad. Um, Gary Sanchez, who the heck knows what you're going to get out of him anymore. Personally, with this kind of lineup, I would go more catch and throw behind the plate than I would worry about offense, especially if the guy is not great offensively. He's been below league average this year. Gary Sanchez, go with your catch and throw guy. Go with an Austin Romine, who is not really a bad bat. He's not an automatic out. So, you know, that's how I would look at it a little bit. Well, the Yankees are playing the Red Sox this coming weekend, and it's going to be interesting to see. And obviously one of the games – is going to be Jay Happ against the two guys that 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 were traded. Ivaldi and Happ will go up against each other in one of the games in Boston. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Justin Walters on the NFL and a little baseball too. Right after this, 40am.com every day and find out what's happening in your community from one of the largest and most diverse radio stations in the tri-state area. Stay connected at WLIE540am.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. Feedthepig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman! You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva subbing for Justin Walters. But we do have Justin on the phone, and we want to bring him in and talk a little NFL and maybe a little baseball. Justin, how are you tonight? Pretty good. How about yourselves? Not too bad, not too bad. First question I have for you on Jet Camp is I know you were out at both this week. 
Um, does the Darnold thing surprise you? And what needs to be done to rectify this situation? Oh, my gosh. Where do I start? Can I say, yes, the Darnold thing does surprise me. But then when you think about the Jets organization and what's taken place with them the past few years, you can say no. It doesn't surprise you. Out of all the draft picks, to think that they finally found their face and the future of their organization, at least this is what they're led to believe so far, and they can't get this contract done, is really laughable. It's really laughable. And I think that there's a lot of language that clearly is not agreed with on both sides, but it needs to get done because the more snaps and practices he missed, it jeopardizes his chance of starting a job. I didn't think he would start week one, but you think that he'd probably see him perhaps sometime after the bye week. After the bye week, they have the Patriots, so maybe a week after that, but it's really bad. And I thought that they would get the job done this weekend. But it's going to be the main storyline, as I reported when I was there on Friday, heading into every day. How many days now without Darnold? Are you going to actually sign another quarterback? When is this going to get done? Because this is a lot of work with Teddy Bridgewater and Josh McCown. And now you got to think about maybe we need to sign another quarterback to take some reps off. <laughs> Josh McCown joked around on Friday saying that, yeah, I burned a lot of calories. So <laughs> I can go uh, indulge in some ice cream. <laughs> Justin, uh, what's interesting about this Darnold thing is I see members of the media and the fans, oh, he's greedy, he should be in camp, and I understand that, but well, he seems to be just asking for some language in the contract, something with regards to the guarantees. Some feel it has to do with getting released, which I totally get it. He wants to you know, get his guaranteed money. That's a, it, you know, I, I mean, that's the player. Like, I don't blame him. Like, you know, sometimes like it's like... It's, we're, also, we're, it's been a rare situation, Mike, where a player of that stature, that high up, would ever get cut and not get their guaranteed money. Right. But, you know, an agent's doing his, his job. Trent Richardson, but for a player to, yes, you can look for it from both standpoints, but it's very rare. It's like very small logistic things, and I don't know that you want to harp on to think that everyone is excited about this guy. You have even uh, Johnson, Christopher Johnson, saying that people are going to look back on his draft and talk about this pick. Like, they feel like they got their Michael Jordan of the draft. They feel like they, kumbaya, everything is going to be okay. Finally, Jets organization, we can be excited. We got some young guys on defense, May, and a couple of new guys. They got Tremaine Johnson, Darren Lee. There's a long list of players, and even Christian Nunwa. People are excited now about the organization because of Darnold, and then you plug in all those other pieces. And to think that, wow, a deal just can't, can't get done, we got a good first impression of him. Okay, it was only OTAs and minicamp, but this does not start off his career well. And you can say that it's just business, but if this lingers on to another week after that, when are we going to take out business and just say that this is ridiculous? This is something that should have been done. We know what he's going to get paid because that number has been set with Barkley as well as Baker Mayfield is going to be around the $30 million, $31 million threshold how much guaranteed they're still trying to work that out, as well as if you would get cut. But why would you think like a pessimistic mentality? So it's a double-dipping thing if you were to get cut, but who would think that? So I'm not going to delve into it too much, but I 
It's as simple when it comes down to things like this. Three words, get it done, period. Just get it done. Absolutely. Even if you have to spend all day and night, get it done. You're not if you're from the Jets front office grass and you don't have to be at training camp, get it done. Be on the phone 24-7 and go back and forth. Your counter offer, come back two hours. Here's our recounter. Yeah, just get it done. Simple. And, you know, the funny thing is, um, you know, that I was pretty excited when the Jets got Teddy Bridgewater. I I think he's a tremendously talented player. He's coming off an injury, but could this be an opportunity for him? You know, we know what McCowan can do. Could this be an opportunity for him if this is a long layoff for Darnold to really show the Jets what they can he can do and open the eyes of the organization on him? Because, you know, Justin, I think the world of Bridgewater, and I think he could be a great NFL quarterback. And before camp started, I was a front runner or saying that Bridgewater was going to be a front runner for winning this job. I was all in on that because him having the chip on his shoulder, really taking every snap into account and not taking the moment for granted because this is a guy who felt that he saw his life blink within moments on the football field. And then for him to come back and have that nice tribute in Minnesota, throw out the touchdown in his first game back, after a perhaps career-ending injury, this guy is something he wants to prove. And he even had some personality uh, during the press conference. So, yeah, it's, it'd be nice for him to get a redemption story. But what the Jets would want to do, perfect scenario, just from a, I guess, future standpoint, you have Bridgewater have a good showing during training camp as well as the preseason Maybe he plays one to two games, and you know every season presents the same storylines in regards for a team that has a quarterback go down. It's unfortunate, but it's part of the game. And then have a guy that you are only paying, I think it's a $10 million contract, but it's only a couple million because it's more incentive-based. You then trade him, and then you get maybe a solid fourth, third-round pick. That's love. When you're paying someone only a handful of million dollars. That is a great investment in returning that. So that's what you'd want, but now you have to think about, I don't want to wait too early and assume that this Darnold thing is going to play out worse than it is because you would hope that they get the situation resolved by this week. I think if it's not resolved by this week, you start to really put up a red flag. Right now we have a strong yellow card, if you want to use the soccer terminology, because I thought it was going to be done by this weekend. But it's going to be a it's going to be a red card if it's not done by this week. Some people it's already is a red card. Yes, it is three practices. Those three days can be crucial. But he wasn't going to at least start in week one in my eyes. There's no reason to rush the savior of the organization immediately. Let's just take our time because nothing is really expected of this Jets team early on, and as well as this season. You want to win like maybe a decent amount of games, and even if you look at their schedule. It could be a little uh, tough, especially after their bye week. They got the Patriots twice. They end out with a Green Green Bay and a Houston Texans and then the Patriots. So it's going to be tough. But I would think that this situation would get resolved sooner than later, hopefully midweek. I know it's tough. This Darnold situation is going to be the story. But what are some of the other things that are standing out to you at Jets camp? I know it's very early. Are there other players standing out? What's the vibe? I mean, most are looking at this as a rebuilding year, but 
you know, in the NFL, I mean, here's the Giants team that won like three games last year, and they're, you know, I think some fans believe they could win the division. Um, what about the Jets? I mean, what's the vibe there? I'll start on, let's go with the storyline of redemption. Anunwa barely played it all last year. So I think that he's going to have a good year. Also, alongside of him, if Robbie Anderson can stay level-headed, he'll be good. Robbie had a really good year. It's just that his checkered offseason kind of washes out what he did during or what he did on the field. So that uh, group, oh, and then we also uh, heard from Terrell Pryor, who feels that he's healthy. He hasn't really hit the field yet. They're still trying to make sure his progression is well, but he didn't have the best year in Washington last year with Kirk Cousins after having a pretty solid season in Cleveland the year before. So offensively, I think the team has some weapons. On the defensive end, I'm interested to see the new group of linebackers. Darren Lee is going to be taking more of the play-calling responsibilities this year as an inside linebacker. They brought over Avery Williamson from the Tennessee Titans. I'm hoping to see Leonard Williams burst out more on the scene this year. He didn't really have a high sack number year last year, but I think this could be a good year for him, especially trying to seek that new contract. But on defense, the Jets can be very exciting. Offense, there's going to be a little bit more uncertainty, and I guess that's kind of the juxtaposition if you compare them to the Giants, where offensively they're going to be exciting. Defense, I guess there's more question marks on that side. Justin, Let's move to the Giants for a second. And, you know, we were talking about the draft. You know, my read on Saquon Barkley was tremendously talented. I thought the Giants made a great decision in picking him because I think he's not the prototypical running back. I think he's someone that's going to have a big impact. But some of the comments that he made this week I thought were just even more encouraging than that. Um, he talked about how Eli Manning and him have like become buddies quickly and how – he loves Eli's sense of humor, and he wasn't expecting that. And he was just a very, he was very personable, and he was extremely like friendly. And I just think this guy's going to be a great giant. I really do. When you think of creating a fantasy player in Madden, you have to say Saquon Barkley is the next best best thing to the person being a reality in regards to how he speaks to the media. It is night and day compared to other athletes, how mature he is, and he seems like well ahead of himself. And it was interesting to hear John Mara, I believe that was Thursday's practice, when Mara spoke to the media in saying that he hasn't heard someone or seen a giant this hyped up since 1981, and we all know who that 1981 draft pick was, <laughs> Lawrence Taylor, right. uh, also a number two overall pick, and Lawrence had an immediate impact. But he said that, of course, he has a ways to get there for that impact. But he feels that there's something about this kid where he's going to actually live up to the expectations and he'll be able to, quote, unquote, handle them. And I think that's important because New York can eat away at you. But Saquon is just something special about him. He's one of those individuals when you say you just have the it factor, he has the it factor. And it's very early, way too early. He has some history against them. Giants haven't had a rusher since 2012. Pass over a thousand or rush over a thousand yards. That was Ahmad Bradshaw. It's been a while, but for him to be in that backfield, it's going to make Eli's life a lot easier. That offense, when you look 
up and down Shepard, Ingram. Don't forget, they also have Jonathan Stewart to accompany Saquon Barkley. Jonathan Stewart is no scrub. And to have a veteran like that was also helpful to have Barkley have an easier transition. And then, of course, Odell Beckham Jr. There's a lot of potential. Like, this team should be able to average 30 points on paper, easily 30 points on paper. We'll see what actually happens when the season does start. But the Giants are very excited. More question marks on defense. I'm interested to see how the team transitions to 3-4. I do think the Connor Barwin signing is going to be very instrumental, and it could be underrated. But Barwin, obviously a guy that Shermer knew back when he was in Philadelphia, could help this team out a lot. There's obviously a new coach in town, and things ended got kind of silly at the end there with Ben McAdoo. Give me the differences in camp with uh, Pat Shermer. Way too early, but Pat Shermer is more personality than Ben McAdoo, but we'll see how the honeymoon honeymoon phase goes because I don't need to remind Rich, someone also in New York had a great honeymoon phase, <laughs> and um, that would be Mr. Mickey Calloway. Well, also and Ben McAdoo did. I was going to say, yeah, Ben McAdoo also. Everyone at the beginning. His was longer was than Callaway's, I'll tell you that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> until, yeah, that, until, until a famous boat ride occurred. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Ben McAdoo now is being more vocal than ever now that he doesn't have a job with Peter King in the Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Himself. It's amazing yeah. when you want to get into media how chatty somebody gets when they're on the other side. You're like, oh man, who knew you could speak so much? Right. But that's part. That's part of it, though. When you coach the New York Giants, everyone has their own personality. Maybe it was McAdoo went wrong ever since he cut his hair and went to that slick back. Uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, too early to tell. With Shermer, you think that you would hope that this is going to be the next right guy, but everyone seems. Sterling Shepard was talking about it specifically about the offense of how excited he is. And when he was looking on his iPad and he would watch a lot of video last year with Adam Thielen, who surprised the league a lot. Stephon Diggs was a solid receiver, but he really catapulted his game last year with the Vikings to see how those guys were able to get their targets on the Vikings offense. But, yeah, I think it was nice to get a breath of fresh air. And everyone always thinks they found the right guy at the beginning. So we'll see. Um, but I think that the guys like Shermer. I didn't. I wasn't never. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wasn't ever sold on McAdoo. I was like uh, maybe on the edge. Like okay, cool. But especially when more and more information came out. Yeah, but yeah, too early to tell on Shermer. We'll we'll see as the season progresses. And I'm not saying that his record should be an indicator, but it's going to be a different vibe whenever you were that low, especially the way terms ended with the past coach. Just switching to baseball because I want to ask you a couple of baseball questions with the trading deadline upon us on Tuesday. I'll be in D.C. with the Mets to see if anything's occurring down there. But um, what I'm hearing from a bunch of scouts that I've talked to in the last few days is one of them said to me the Mets would be insane if they traded Zach Wheeler unless they get positive return because his mound presence and his improvement on the mound – He's a bona fide, you know, core part of this team. And from what I hear from the Mets inside, they're not getting tremendous offers from Wheeler because, quite frankly, and I would do this if I were teams too, they're looking at the whole report card and the injury factor. So I think 
my sense is the Mets aren't going to make a trade for any of these top four pitchers. I do think they're going to look at maybe moving Mesoraco or maybe Batista, but that can occur even after the seven, uh, the July 31st deadline. My question to you is, do you see the Yankees doing anything? And if so, what are they willing to give up? And does the Aaron Judge injury change things at all in their M.O. for trades? Before I touch on the Yankees, I'm just curious with the Mets. I think, of course, if you're not going to get something in return, there'd be no reason to actually trade for Wheeler. But the plan for the Mets, I think, is something that needs to be taken care of in finding the GM and the future just with the dismal season that's taking place because it'd be helpful to know. Because I don't, Rich, would you say it's safe to say that this team is not going to make the playoffs next year because based off of what we've already seen with this current team? I mean, I think that's a long way off, but to me, when you have the kind of solid starting pitching they have, I don't mind trading one of them. But I'm not going to trade them for sub-value. And I think what two things at work here. One, we don't know who the general manager is going to be, so maybe that's the guy in the offseason that's going to decide what to do with these pitchers. But the other thing is the Mets aren't on the clock here. The teams that want to make the playoffs are on the clock. They're the ones that have to wow the Mets. The Mets aren't the ones that have to wow them because the I Mets can do it in the offseason. I think there's responsibility on both because the Mets understand their farm system. So DeGrom, for example, no one's going to be going after him, but his trade value isn't going to be higher than it is right now. And the reason why I say that is for what he – of course, he can have a great season, but in regards to wanting to trade for him right now, the highest time what you can get in return for him is right now. So I think it's the Mets' job to also reach out to teams and find out how much they can get in return for a guy. And as you mentioned, as someone that works in sales, to start betting. If you say that, hey, they have a great deal from the Red Sox, and the Red Sox get Chris Sale and DeGrom, that's a sure five ways just to push yourself into the World Series. So I think it's on both ends because the Mets want to load up on that farm system. What they got for Jerry Familia was okay, but still you want to always play the game of chess and try to prepare for the future. Moving over to what you were mentioning about the Yankees, the problem with the Yankees has been all season, specifically for your judge question, is that they play down to teams. You can't split against teams like Baltimore, lose games like that to the Royals, even though they won these past two, or even lose games to the Tampa Bay Rays. Split with the like Mets. That. They split with the Mets as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, even, even with the Mets with the Subway Series. Yeah, they almost blew with the – and even the first Subway Series. They, they were close games. So they have to, they can't just play and turn on the green light when you know you're playing against Houston. You're playing against Boston. If you look at Boston's record against the Baltimore Orioles compared to the Yankees, there's a reason those five and a half games are the difference. Every game matters, and you know it's going to come down to the stretch. Even if you play a team like Boston 10 more games, how much of a difference is that going to make when you play against other teams? You have to assume that Boston isn't going to be able to win their amount of games. So judges' injury should not be that much of a factor because if you look at this lineup from top to bottom, you take out Judge, you take out Stanton, you take out Gleyber Torres, you take out Andujar, whatever player, the lineup is deep enough to be good without one player. Just so helps or hurts in this case that Judge is one of those top players that has really been consistent. But this team is deep enough 
to handle without judge as long as they play the way they're supposed to. And then for players that they should go after, I obviously Chris Archer is no surprise that they'd be interested in him because he's controllable. The half situation to me was a checkers move because he's going to be available the next year. It's also a 35-year-old guy. We'll see how much that is. obviously also indicates to people that they're trying to go all in if people didn't know and try to win right now. The Britain move to me is a very strong move because it also uses the mentality, mentality that I dare you to go to, or sorry, we're confident enough that we can go to our bullpen even if we have to go to them in the fourth inning. Say for some odd reason that Sonny Gray is able to start in the postseason and he has some strong stretch because it looks right now that it's safe to say that he won't be starting a postseason game. But let's say that does happen. Sonny Gray gets lit up for three innings. Then you could throw in Robertson. And then you can throw in Britain. And then you could throw in Batanza. And then you could throw in Chapman. Of course, you don't want to exhaust your bullpen like that every single game. But that is the type of padding that it gives your team, the Yankees, when you know your starting pitching isn't that good. Do they get Chris Archer? I'm not sure. But if you're going to go for Chris Archer, I don't think Torres should be available. Um, Frazier is still a piece that easily can be moved since you already moved Drury. And uh, I wouldn't uh, trade Justice Sheffield because you know that Sebastian most likely this is his swan song. And if they win the World Series, I most likely can bet on it that he would retire. But who knows what his future holds. But you'd be giving up a pitcher just to know you're going to be losing a pitcher the next year. And then another pitcher on top of that because Jay Hat perhaps could walk. So that's my whole take with the Yankees. I wouldn't be surprised if they're done making moves. Maybe someone else outbids them for Chris Archer. But with this team that they have, when the week started compared to now, they're a much better team with Britain and have. And, and it'll be interesting how far they want to go to make a move. Because right now the deals they've made were deals, some of them had to be made because the 40-man roster crunch that's coming up in the offseason, uh, they, they haven't given up that player that I think you would say might cause you some pain. There's always going to be guys that are going to turn out to be solid, but they haven't given that player up yet. Getting an archer, you would think, because he falls into that young pitcher, you're going to have to give up something. i, I got to think of Clinton Frazier minimum, or minimum something and, like that. I'm minimum, not saying Torres. Minimum I don't think I don't think they're going to do that. I, I think they were trying to foist guys like Jory and right. McKinney, and they were hoping that a Mets or a top team would say, yeah, let's – Come to us, and we're we're willing to take that. They did a good. Let me tell you, they do a good job marketing with the media. They should they should open up a marketing PR firm, the Yankees. But it ha- well, they, well, they, no well, one you, bought. You get what you pay nobody, for yeah, nobody <laughs> bit. And I I question, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing out. I question how much they're willing to give up to get the kind of player that you know when you start to get into that Archer conversation. Because Archer's going to cost you Andujar at the very right. least. You got something like yeah, that. yeah, and that's the situation where. Are you? Do you really want to give up Andujar? And to me, the answer is no for Archer. Archer is a solid pitcher, and once again, as we mentioned, controllable. But I'd rather keep Andujar uh, for the gain and promise that you do have. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But like I said, as a Yankee fan and even also someone that looks at the team objectively, I like the moves that they made because you don't have any great pitchers out there on the market that you're not going to have to give up the world for. The greatest pitcher that's out there on the market, let alone the person that should win the Cy Young, is Jacob DeGrom. And you know if you give up DeGrom, the Mets want to be overwhelmed, and then 
also you're in the same backyard as them. So people can keep running that storyline. Highly doubtful that it happens. You can't say there's a zero chance, but especially right now with the moves that the Yankees have made right now, it's a zero chance because they would have to definitely give up Sheffield and Duhar and Glaber Torres if they wanted him, and then probably two other prospects. And then what's the point of doing that just for the Grom, knowing that you just also gave back a lot of that? Uh, so, yeah, highly adopted the Grom leaves, as well as I don't really think that the Mets, or sorry, the Yankees could make another move unless they give up a prize possession as Andujar in addition to Frazier to get Archer. And I'll leave you with this. I don't know if Hap's a better pickup than Evaldi. And it's funny, they're going to pitch against each other this weekend. I will say this in, 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 in final. And, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. All right, take care, fellas. Thanks. Okay. I will say this. Yankee fans, you had a chance to have Chris Sale and Justin Verlander on your staff if you would have given up prospects. And instead, you have Sonny Gray and Jay Happ. That could be the curse that keeps continuing not getting into a World Series, and if it happens this year and next year, it'll be the first time in a century a Yankee team has not gone to the World Series in a decade. No, no doubt. I think another thing real quick, Rich, to think about here with Mezzarocco and, J- and Jose Batista on the Mets side, do you just want to trade guys away for organization of filler, or do you want to have some guys who could actually help you win? I think winning the rest of the year is still very important. That's what I like to talk about. I do, about. too, because I think that, that the team does need to win some games. We had a great show here tonight. It went really quickly. Howie Carpin, thank you for joining us. Justin Walters, thank you for joining us. Next week at this time, we'll be talking about the Yankee Red Sox series, wrapping that up. And we'll be talking about where the Mets and Yankees are after the trading deadline. Till then, this is Rich Catino saying so long, everybody.